0: Welcome to Sivako Road to Avatar. My name is Sean Alexander, and I'll be your guide to the world of Pandora and beyond. To support this show, head on over to www.patreon.com slash avatarpod, where you can become a patron and gain access to exclusive content. Welcome back to our Dungeons & Dragons Avatar special, featuring Alex and Marcel from Overworked and Underplayed. Please make sure to check out part one on our channel before checking out this part.
1: Uh, if you're okay with it, uh, I can proceed on. I have uh, actually, as an example of like how you might build a character or the kind of decisions you might need to make, I've actually made Jake Sully, uh, since he is the goofball everyman, right? Uh, I have made him all the way up to level seven. And the reason I stopped at level seven uh, is because that's when the mount would grow its wings, quote-unquote, or he would bond with the flying beast. Uh, so are you okay if we proceed to there? That sounds great. Go for it. Okay, so uh, let's see. So I start at level zero, uh, which is character creation. That's before you even mess with your class features or anything. So as I stated earlier... We give him the Wood Elf to differentiate him from a Na'vi. Uh, It gives him perception, more weapon proficiencies, uh, a little bit faster movement speed. And for background, uh, you can go either mercenary or soldier. I feel like either one of those makes perfect sense why he's there. Um, That gives you the athletics ability, which fits for what we see his character doing. And it also gives you either persuasion or intimidation. I lean towards the soldier background because it gives uh, or sorry, the mercenary background because I believe it's the one that gives you persuasion. And if there's one thing I see him doing in that film, he is constantly trying to persuade people things. Um I started to give him intimidation because of his standoff with the uh, the hammerhead early on. But then I remembered that he didn't actually scare it off. It was actually the uh, the beast behind him that about ate him for lunch that actually scared it off. So him being bad at intimidation, I think, actually makes more sense. Uh, for class, we're going to go with Ranger, as we alluded to earlier. Um it also makes sense from a background perspective since he was. Uh, it's listed in the film that he was a member of the Marine First Recon. So Ranger Recon follows. Uh, and that gives him animal handling, survival, and stealth. Uh, as far as stats, our main stats we're going to focus on, and I'm not going to go down into the numbers on this, uh, but our dex, our dexterity, uh, which is going to give him exceptional agility, and is going to make him harder to hit, and is you know follows with his ability to like use weapons, uh, ranged weapons in particular. Uh, the next stat would be Con or Constitution, because he takes a beating in this film and just does not really give up. And then the third stat I thought about going Strength here, and while he isn't weak. I think that's not his third best stat. I think his third best stat is charisma because in less than 24 hours of of him meeting like the Na'vi people, he's already got the chief like or like the the uh uh, uh Na'tiri uh is already making eyes at him. So he's got to have something going on like charisma wise. And like they accept him pretty quickly. And you're like, "Okay, this guy must be a smooth talker when it comes to like just chit-chat day to day." Uh, For neutral stats, I'm going to go with strength and wisdom. Uh, Depending on what system you're using, whether you're going point by or you're rolling for stats or you're doing a standard array, uh, those are all things that can be found in the player's handbook if you don't understand what I'm talking about. Uh, Neutral stats, you're not necessarily bad, but you're not great at them. And I think strength would be the higher of those, but wisdom is definitely kind of like mediocre but for his dump stat and just about every character is going to have a dump stat where it's the thing they're worst at i think that nobody's going to argue that intelligence is definitely jake sully's dump stat
2: and i think that kind of goes hand in hand with the stereotype of the the marine too so
1: right right like he is may i mean I, i think there's a youtube video up where it's like all the times jake sully almost gets himself killed or makes dumb decisions and it's like thirty minutes long. Like it's hilarious. Um so for level one, he gets a feature called favored enemy, which gives him uh bonuses for tracking or for attacking certain types of enemies. And given that he is a uh, a human who was a soldier, I put I chose humanoid because it would make sense that he's, you know, good at hunting down humanoids since he was a marine recon. Uh, fighting style. This one's going to be a little. This one, I, I thought outside the box a little bit. So at level two, you get a fighting style as a ranger. And a lot of people would probably look at this and choose, oh, archer, or, you know, this one or that one. I chose Mariner. Now, Mariner may make more sense for the second film, but Mariner's actual class feature gives you, it makes you harder to hit. If you're not wearing armor or using a shield, uh, it gives you and it gives you a better climbing and swimming speed. And given what we see in the film, I think he's a pretty good swimmer and he catches on pretty quick with the Na'vi as far as moving around the trees and things. So I think it makes sense there. Uh, He's also pretty good at at avoiding things, so I think that the increase to his armor class makes sense. And for those of you who don't play, uh, armor class is how hard you are to hit. Uh, So the higher that number is, the harder it is for someone else to hit you with, say, an arrow or an axe. Um, At level 3... His uh, class feature Drake Warden is that's when that pops in, and that's where you would go with the Dire Horse reskin we talked about earlier. And at level four, he gets an ability score improvement or a feat. Now, most people will pick an ability score improvement, but I think for Jake Sully, it makes way more sense for him to take a particular feat called Lucky. And what that feat allows you to do, are you familiar with that one at all, Sean? Uh, I am. If I'm right in thinking,
0: it's basically if you roll the worst, at least you can re-roll.
1: Yes, yes. It basically allows you to, to get an oopsies three times a day. And one of the particularities of it in 5e is that the way that it's written, if you have a disadvantage on a roll, and for those of you who don't, who who, uh, uh, who don't play D&D normally, uh, disadvantage is when you would roll a D20, you roll two of them, and you take the lowest number. This is normally seen as a bad thing, and it's normally reserved for when you're somewhere you have no business being. Well, if you have the lucky feet because of the way the rules are written, you get to use the lucky feet on the low roll. And the way that the the uh, lucky feat is written, you get to take the highest between those two. So essentially, you can turn disadvantage into triple advantage if you if you apply the rule correctly while you're playing, which I think really fits with a particular scene in the film where Jake Sully is flying high above uh, the the uh, the big yellow. It wasn't a Banshee, was it? The Leonoptrix Mm. Uh, Taruk, Yes. And he's flying high above it, and he's like, well, here goes nothing. And if that's not a disadvantage uh, acrobatics check, I've never seen one. And he somehow manages to pull it off. That, to me, is the lucky feat in a nutshell. Um, From there, it gets pretty simple. You get an extra attack at the next level. There's nothing to choose. Uh, level six, you get an improvement to your favorite enemies. Now, I think with him growing into his role as a as a member of the Na'vi, that he would pick up the beast as his favorite enemy there. So he would have humanoids and beasts. And then, of course, at level seven, uh, your mount grows wings, so this would be when he, he bonds with his banshee. And so that kind of breaks down, there's a few more things that you would have to pick, so at level 2 there's also spells and these, you know I I would stick towards normally things that uh, like Hunter's Mark or animal related spells like Animal Friendship Uh, but there's also other spells like Goodberry that might make sense of him finding these herbal remedies in the forest that he's learned about or uh, like I said, it's, it's so open with what you can do but to me, this made sense as like the perfect level seven build to use as an example for players of how you could be, you know, Jake Sully, or you could be a character kind of like him. Uh you have any, any thoughts or anything about that, Sean? Honestly, it fits so
0: well, and I love the fact that it's, yeah, combining these different areas and the range is obviously like quite a interesting character as well so it all seems to fit so well into his character of being yeah like this jarhead who's <laughs> having no intelligence but i think you're right on the charisma i think that's a, a stat that people wouldn't expect for him but he's very charismatic
1: yeah i i uh was like i said i rewatched the film just a few days ago as i was going through and compiling my notes and i just kept noticing there were all these times where i'm like why do they keep listening to him you know like <laughs> but uh and uh when he was going behind the back of the scientists and reporting to to Korich and there were just so many times where he was playing like both sides and and you know there's a certain skill set you would need to be able to do that. so i I feel like he definitely has a, at least a little bit of charisma going there. Now, uh for another example, uh Natiri would follow a very similar path, uh as would most any of the warrior class of the Navi, just because the the animals are such a big part of how they fight. Um, the few things that would change was her background would be different, uh, the race would be Tabaxi, and in uh, in my mind her stats. The only thing that would really switch would be maybe she has wisdom instead of charisma, uh, where Jake has the charisma, because she does seem like like you know to be honest the first read she gets on him pretty accurate. She's just like this guy can't be trusted, and it's like, yes, that was a very good instinct to have it first. <laughs> you should have kept that one up, maybe, but, uh, but, so that's the 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 Navi and the Avatars in a nutshell. I think would follow a similar vein to what we laid out there with Jake Sully in particular. Uh, do you have any any thoughts on that, Marcel?
2: I do actually, and I think that you, what you just said was a perfect segue to what I was thinking about how there's like the difference between kind of like meta gaming and like how you think of like m- like mathematically what's the best way to make this character, and then playing like how your character like would actually make decisions, and so like you know Jake and Tiri are both rangers and so you would think they would have the same stats but because of the way the character plays that they actually are different so like when you were giving us those stats at first i was like oh man the metagaming part of me wants to put wisdom first because like that's the stat that like spell casting is used for and mm-hmm. things like that but like no you're 100 right that jake doesn't do it that way and you know playing your character to their strengths and weaknesses is the better way to play the game so i, I would agree with that
1: Yeah, and uh just throwing this out there, you know, since that is his spellcasting stat, that explains why in the big final battle, uh it took Awa so long to like finally be like, "Fine, I'll send in some animals to help you out, to bail you guys out." Like that was definitely a frustrated DM watching the entire party on the verge of a total party kill and was just like, "Oh god, how am I getting them out of this situation?" Like how did he drop the grenades? That was a slam dunk. And how did this one get skewered, like, uh, five minutes into the fight? Oh, my gosh, they're all going to die. And, yeah, so uh, I can't watch things now and not think about it as a game or, like, as at how this would play out at a table. And just every time you see a deus ex machina, like, the animals showing up at the end, and all of a sudden they start winning, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a frustrated DM figuring out how to get out of this situation for his party. Yeah, I I totally see it,
0: and it's sort of that thing as well. Like, and I feel like I've watched videos of this before. I think um, someone on YouTube does it for the Lord of the Rings films of being like going through and be like, "Here's where all the roles happened, and what went wrong along the way." And I can just imagine the same for Avatar, being the same of being like, "Yeah, there's just bits in it where this is pure luck that this happened."
1: Yeah, and and it's I always found it funny. There's a uh... That, like, as much as players focus on making their characters as strong as possible in certain aspects, from my time playing tabletop games, you don't remember that crit nearly as much as you remember that time you rolled a one and almost everyone died and it led to like this calamity of events that you're all like running on fire you're like oh my god we got to get out of here like those are always the best in my opinion and so the uh uh not optimizing characters but making them how you want to play them i think is is something that's oft overlooked
0: that's really interesting for me yeah as a I haven't made a whole lot of characters. I've been very lucky. I've been I've already had two characters so far in my campaign that I've been being a part of. Uh but yeah, it's sort of that thing of how I play them, how I want to play them and not worrying about the numbers cuz when I first made them I didn't know how to to make them strongest as they needed to be.
1: Oh, that's the best. And then then you get to discover all the mistakes you made every session. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of veteran D&D players that will say that they wish they could go back to their first time because it was just so much of like, you're just having fun playing the game kind of thing. Like, you're not trying... I've, there's like a bell curve of like having fun then you're playing D D because you're like you're trying to win or you're trying to beat the campaign and then you get it to the stage of like i'm gonna make the most ridiculous character ever who is absolutely just too powerful because i know all the rules but i'm just trying to have fun kind of thing and so yeah a lot of times people like want to go back to that beginning of you know, I'm I'm just having a good time here. I want to play a ranger because I want to shoot a bow and I want my character to kind of be like Legolas or, you know, for this example, because we're talking about Avatar, I want my character to be
1: like Jake Sully. Jake Sully. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, with those two out of the way, we get to my favorite character because I, I did... Now, I didn't go fully through all the levels, But I would like to present to you guys my idea of how you would do Colonel Miles Quaritch in a game if your characters wanted to go all evil mode and play for the corporation and play the colonel in charge of making sure that we get that unobtainium because we need it. And that is a mountain dwarf paladin. Now, at a certain level, your paladin gets a oath, and a lot of people get this one mixed up. Uh, by the way, I'll clear this one up: uh, a lot of people think of paladins as holy characters like clerics, where they get their power from some kind of deity. But that is a very common misconception in fifth edition, because in fifth edition, the way it's written is while your character might have a deity they serve, their power, their their inherent magicness comes from their belief in their goal and their oath and their upholding certain tenets. And if Quaritch is not a paladin, I've never seen one. That man has one goal and he is willing to do anything to reach that one singular focus and he will justify it any way he needs to. Which is why I have him as a paladin of conquest. Now, one of the things a uh, paladin gets is this thing called divine sense, and the idea being that you can sense certain creatures in your vicinity. Well, how would this work in the world of Avatar? Well, maybe divine sense is a radar. Maybe it's a personal radar, a la uh, aliens, uh, where you can detect, you know, things moving around you. Uh, you have things like lay on hands, which in in t- typical D anD fashion, you would uh, a paladin could touch a wounded character and heal them a certain number of hit points. Well, maybe that's just your typical video game health pack, uh, which is you know a limited resource. Uh, but the w- only way this works really is uh, if you change one rule which people will go will come out of the hills screaming at me for even suggesting this one because it's a biggie. And that is typically smites only apply to melee attacks. Now there's reasons for this uh, because it could get a little unbalanced. But I think you can make it work out especially if everyone's playing a human character so they're all going to be kind of doing some unbalanced things and at which case you just throw stronger creatures against them and eventually the balance figures itself out but uh, making it work on ranged weapon attacks now those smites all become different types of let's say rockets or different types of explosive ammunition or acidic ammunition or various things kind of like we talked about earlier but um, this is the funniest part. When I was researching this, I was trying to figure out how, like, which oath works best. And the reason I settled on Oath of Conquest is I'm going to read you the title, or and a little bit of description of each of the three tenets of the Oath of Conquest, Sean, and I want you to tell me what you think about this. So the first one is, you rule with an iron fist. Once you have conquered, tolerate no dissent. Your word is law. Those who obey it shall be favored, and those who defy it shall be punished as an example to all who might follow. All right, so that's, that's one of the tenets. The second tenet, douse the flame of hope. It is not enough to merely defeat an enemy in battle. Your victory must be so overwhelming that your enemies will fight to shatter it uh, uh your enemies will to fight is shattered forever. A blade can end a life, fear can end an empire. And then we get to our third tenet, which is strength above all else. You shall rule until a stronger one arises, and then you must grow mightier and meet the challenge or fall to your own ruin. Now, what are what are your thoughts on that one? Does that sound a little a uh, uh, little bit like our Colonel Miles Quaritch? I was gonna say this just sounds like direct quotes from him from the movie, <laughs> if I'm honest. Right, like I was reading this, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" I think he actually said like a few of these phrases in the film, like like you know, we got to make sure they can't ever rise up against us, you know, preemptive strikes, right?
0: Honestly, that's unreal.
1: Yeah. And so it's it's things like that. When I find stuff like that, uh, you know, you start off with the idea of this crazy like out there idea of, hey, how could we play D&D on the world of Pandora? And then you you start digging into it and you find some things that are going to be a little difficult that you got to play around with but then eventually you, you stumble into things like the tenets of the oath of conquest. And you're like, Oh my God, they're quoting the film. And you realize that you, you see the game for what it is. And it is a framework and you can make almost anything fit within that framework. Now, that being said, there are also other tabletop games that could probably work for this better. Um, I, I reached out to a few of my DM friends, and uh, uh, we talked about it a little bit. And one of them, I haven't had a chance to do any research on this one, so don't ask me any questions <laughs> on this one. But I've, uh, there's one particular system called Savage World, and it has a lot of survival aspects built into it. So I could see where something like that could work, for, depending on the kind of game you want to play. But given that D&D is, is so well known, it's so ubiquitous in the marketplace, uh, it's almost like going to play a tabletop game. You say, oh, we're going to play D&D, almost like you would say, I'm going to go Google something or I'm going to Xerox something, right? Like It's it's become so common and so associated with the idea of tabletop gaming that it's hard for another system to really break break into the market the way it has. So it makes sense to focus on something like this, especially if you're getting first-time tabletop players, who maybe they're just you know maybe their interest is Avatar, and they've never even played D and D. Like uh, I think you said earlier, you've only been playing for about a year, right? Yeah. A little over. Yeah, just over a year. And so I could see where there's probably a lot of people who are interested in Avatar and the world that it creates and the immersion. Who want to, you know, a little piece of the action? And so, you know, floating them the idea of D and D probably opens that door a little easier than it would be. Hey, here's this thing you've never heard of. Jump in. We're we're doing it. Like, you know. So, um. But uh, uh, what are your thoughts on the stuff we've gone through so far? Uh, any anything you've uh, thought of when we've been talking?
0: Honestly, I'm just so impressed and. The fact that there's so much already within the game and the framework that exists that can just be reskinned slightly just to and apply to it i think that as well shows the sort of like universal storytelling that james cameron's able to do where it's so easy to apply these sort of stories ideas characters into a different setting so simply
1: yeah and uh it's one thing whenever i've had new players who've never played before uh, a lot of times, you know, people will talk about Hollywood films and talk about the characters being one-dimensional or whatever, but a lot of times when I have people who, uh, who've who never played D&D before and they want to play, but they're not sure what kind of character they want to play, I tell them, well, tell me what your favorite show is. What's your favorite movie? What's your favorite character from that show? Well, would you be interested in playing someone like that? And you start from that that point where now you have it in your mind, a character that you can look into and you can help them along the way of like making some decisions. And next thing you know, they are their favorite character and they're having fun. And then they're like, ooh maybe I want to try this now. Maybe I want to try this. Maybe I want to differentiate it this way. And it's all about getting them in the door. And so that's one of the reasons I was so excited um, when we saw your post about the about the the uh, avatar uh, doing like an avatar world building or or campaign thing because uh, I saw it as a way that there's a lot of people would probably be interested in getting into a hobby I really enjoy uh, through something that they understand at a deeper level. So. Oh, I, this has definitely been very fun. Yeah, I, I
0: really appreciate you both coming on and talking about it. And yeah, this is a chance. Now, would you guys like to talk a little bit about your show? And you're uh, currently running
1: a very exciting campaign. Uh, yes. Uh, so we, uh, earlier this year, we launched a podcast called Overworked and Underplayed. Uh, it's a play on the the old phrase, overworked and underpaid. Uh and the idea was we're all millennial and, like, uh, cusper, you know, just on the cutoff point of Gen Z, young professionals working in offices or or various places, and we were joking about the, the like, the kind of humor that pops up in, in places like this and the the repetitive nature of certain things, the... The uh, meetings, the phrases to get tossed around, like we'll circle back to that or we'll table that till next time, uh, and we thought, well, wouldn't it be kind of funny to have a D and D game that was like a parody almost of some of those tropes? And so uh, we, of course, the they uh, two of our players presented this idea to us. Marcel was one of them. They actually showed up to our home game wearing like suits and had a PowerPoint presentation and uh, a little behind the scenes. Uh, the uh, the initial working title was yuppies and dragons. <laughs> uh, and uh, from there I was like, okay, I'm in, we're creating a new world where I, I enjoy that aspect of it very deeply. So we created our own world from the ground up uh, and we have a lot of funny uh, kind of puns and, and plays on things. Like, uh, for instance, the characters are really confused because they get picked up by a truck that says Bloogle down the side of it, which is uh, uh, a corporation in the main city that employs wizards that you can ask questions and they'll telepathically give communicate with other wizards to get you the answer. Um, there's... Uh, of course, there's di- jokes about corporate sector and government sector work. There are uh, uh, funny anachronisms in different ways of, uh, of like, how does this work without electricity? You know, like, for instance, they come across a neon sign in a recent episode, and as they get closer, they realize that there's actually, like, fairies in glass tubes, that that's their job is to be a sign. Um, and... Uh, you know, we, we like to have fun with it. It's a lighthearted, actual play D&D podcast. Uh, and it's it's actually aimed at people who may not necessarily be experts in d because we're certainly not. Uh, and it's meant to put a smile on people's faces and maybe get a laugh out of them while they're, uh, while they're on their way to their corporate grindstone. Uh, Marcel, do you have anything you want to add?
2: Yeah, I think that to kind of... Just talk a little bit about that, um our intro to the rest of the group. Uh So my wife and I are part of the cast and we were listening to a different actual play podcast called Dungeons and Daddies, which is like, what kind of tropes in D&D would dads be? And since none of us at the time were parents, we're like, well, we're not really that, but we are young professionals. And so that's kind of like how we also made our like classes of like, well, what a modern day working person like, what would like what would their job be in the D&D world? So that's also kind of how we picked the, the D&D classes based off of either our actual jobs or jobs that we thought we knew enough about that we could, you know, kind of create into the D&D world and puns. It's just puns and puns and puns like.
1: Um, well, puns are the highest form of comedy.
2: and I, I agree completely with that. Hello and welcome to Overworked and Underplayed. Your favorite new podcast, which could have been an email.
0: Tagline, have you tried turning it off and turning it
2: back on? <laughs> <laughs> right. This is a D&D podcast. Taylor Jacobs, as centaur barbarian with a heart of gold. With
1: a corporate twist.
2: From eight to five, she's a driven marketing coordinator.
1: You had a friend who was half human, half donkey.
2: Like half assing it? No, I never do that. <laughs> <laughs> A group of young professionals find themselves in the same grind in a different place. Yeah, I didn't hear anything about facilities bringing in a forest. Hey guys, um, (laughs) you you want to come outside? Check this out. Can they get out of this rat race? Find out by RSVPing to the all-hands meeting. I mean, subscribing to wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Yeah, thank you both so much for joining. And yeah, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this. And if you've got any ideas on how you would add avatar to a DD campaign maybe there's some other characters you want to make character sheets for i'd love to see them read about them because i honestly the more D stuff i can read at the moment the better uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah thank you all for listening and hope you have a lovely day goodbye thank you for listening this episode is dedicated to our patrons eric scrock patrick regal and lauren king to become a patron visit www patreon.com slash avatar pod.